Hi, everybody. I'm George Siegel. Welcome to the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. If you've ever taken on a construction or renovation project, you're aware of the multitude of factors that need to be considered for a successful outcome. One thing that can make or break your project is the team you assemble to execute it. My guest today, Julie Lawton, has honed her expertise in all facets of the industry with a background in architecture, landscape architecture, mechanical engineering, and interior design. And she went a step further and got her license as a general contractor. When you hire Julie, you can rest assured that not only is she equipped with a talented team, but is also fully in charge of every aspect of the project. Now, knowing all these aspects of the job make her a great guest to give you advice for your project. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Your home is probably your biggest investment, and every week we show you warning signs and solutions to help you protect it. Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Now, I love talking to people that that do what you do. You know, I've watched your videos. I, I love building and remodeling and all that stuff, even though, admittedly, and I say this in all my podcasts, I have not had very good luck finding good people to do the work for me. So when I see people in videos like you that that's, that really know what you're doing, it's it's fun to watch. Tell me what it is that you do that that makes you successful at it. How are you so good at what you do? Well, first of all, I provide an actual one-stop shop. Now, nobody else does this, so... You can't just go out and pick up the phone and find another me. But what I do is I provide provide the architecture, the design, the interior design, the engineering, and the contracting as one person. So I'm a one stop shop. So I run the show. I run the show for the client on the client's behalf, so they don't have to manage seven to ten people. So that's what makes me unique. But what makes all construction organized is starting with a good plan. And then hiring the right people that know what they're doing that fit your scope of work. But it really is about the plan and the process and the team and the execution. So it's very organized. And um, you can't screw it up if you actually follow my seven simple steps. <laughs> but uh, well, I want to hear I want to hear those. I absolutely want to hear those because I, I, somewhere along the way, I always do. You know, it's either believing in somebody that doesn't do the job. You're not watching them closely enough. I mean, there's always something that comes back that um, that gets me. So how do you avoid that nightmare? Obviously, with you, it's one stop shop. I, I get everything. And you're not just you're not just doing those things. You've actually had training in all those areas, oh, yeah. haven't you? Mm -hmm. I, I went to college for the architecture, mechanical engineering, landscape architecture, interior design. And I'm licensed and certified in a couple of things there. And I'm also certified custom kitchen to planner. So I took all my degrees and licensed them in California as far as I could go. And um, then I and then I became a licensed contractor because that's the part that was driving me crazy after working in construction and commercial in New York City with the big wigs. I mean, the top five developers. That business is very organized when you're in commercial. But when you're in residential, the contractors are hit and miss. So I became a licensed contractor to save my headache and the client's headache. And it changed my world and it changed my client's world because I took away that stress. And that, so that's one of my secrets is I now just you, became the contractor. Do you work with the same team every time? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I, I, don't, I think that's I don't huge. Stray. I don't stray. That's the secret. You don't jump around. You don't screw your man. You don't undercut them. 
and you create a family of loyal army of men. I mean, I have a loyal army because we trust each other. We respect each other. And my guys don't quit. You know, they retire. I mean, I've had the same cabinet maker for 35 years. And then electricians and plumbers go 10, 15 and employees goes 10 to 25. So it's insane. But that is a secret. Don't jump around and never work with strangers ever. Well, a lot of times we can't control it. I think that the three words that I hate the most on a project are low bid wins. Yeah. And that yes. seems to happen a lot. I know it happens with a lot of builders here in Tampa where I live, where oh, yeah. whoever turns in the best electrical bid, the lowest one gets that oh, job. Even with city oh, government projects, low bid yes. wins and you end so up getting crap. You, yeah, there you go. Because low bids mean low quality. And then the guy isn't interested in quality or, or timing because there's three ways to do things in life. Good, fast, cheap. You can't, you cannot do, you can do cheap and fast. It's garbage. But, but the only way to really do it is good and fast. And if you go too fast, of course, it costs more money. But good and fast means just on schedule. But you can't put cheap in there. So you're asking for trouble when you, when you, when you start focusing on the money, because the low bid's going to lead you down a road you don't want to be. On. Absolutely. Any house I've ever lived in, I could take you around and show you the problems. And I guarantee you the sub that did that was the lowest bidder that that got that job and it it uh, it comes back to hurt the person who's building their dream house or remodeling their dream hey, house every time you go cheap everybody listen it costs you more time it costs you more money and it adds gray hair it always costs more when you go cheap you never win now you said you had seven secrets can you share those yes my seven secrets are the simple steps that you should probably follow because a lot of people like to jump around or skip steps. And the steps are before you buy your lot or your house, actually analyze it and see what you're in for. What's the resale going to be in five, 10 years? Um, do you like the schools? I mean, what if is a lot on a hill and it's going to cost you a million dollars to build, but no one told you that? So you need to know what you're up against before you even purchase your land. But if you're just remodeling your house, the next step is, Draw plans for everything. Specify everything down to the cabinet knobs. Do not start your construction until you've picked everything on paper and gone through that motion. And then, and then good contractors and good teams, they bring the contractor in early during the design process with the architectural plans and the engineer to tell you, hey, you might not want to build it, design it that way because you won't be able to afford that option. Why don't you do a different option? So the third step is so it's pre-site, it's draw your plans it's pre-construction get in there and see what this is going to cost and then as the plans are getting drawn they get submitted to the city so the city submittal process is long but you've got a lot of things to do during that process and then you finish the pre-construction and then you're ready for step number four which is pull the uh, permit and then you pull the permit and of course you build your lovely dream house and then you get to step six, and um, it's the post-construction. Really important. Know your warranty and your and how to maintain your home. And then you get to the very last one. I think I said five is build your house. Six is post-construction and learn how to use your house and care for it. Because if you don't care for it, you're going to be paying money again in 10 years. And then the seventh step is, of course, lifetime maintenance and love your home. So seven steps in a row. But don't skip them because some people build their house and start their construction without finishing the plans or finishing buying materials. And you know what happens. The windows take six months and it delays your construction, you know, if you yeah. don't order one time. Now, if you were to talk to some of the builders maybe that I worked with and they would say, 
that guy's a total pain in the ass, meaning me. Uh-huh. How much do you like your clients involved? How much should they be looking over your shoulder or supervising the job or checking in on a regular basis? How much is good or 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 a pain? Well, here's the bottom line. If they don't trust you, they're going to be a pain. And technically, because then they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to your advice. They're only going to they're going to worry a lot. And those kind of clients are time consuming because they don't want they want to be the chiefs. Because I always tell them, hey, get get going to perform your own brain surgery. If you have an operation, I mean, you need to back off and just because when you hire a professional, you should relax. But then you got to give them updates. You know, so if you're working with a true professional, you're going to get updates every week. So there's nothing to worry about. And there's projections and projections and timelines. So my clients don't tend, my people that hire me hire aren't micromanagers. The people that don't hire me are the ones that want to do it themselves and micromanage all the people along the way. And again, they try to get it cheap and it costs more and it takes longer. So I don't usually get those clients, but when I do, I look at them like, why'd you hire me? You hired a professional. Are you doing this to your doctor too? So people don't hire me like that because they think they're going to save money doing it themselves. And not that I'm expensive, but it costs money to have someone manage your world. You know? Yeah. I needed to find somebody like you because I think it's that trust that you have. It's like once you find something that was done poorly, maybe after you move into the house or after the job is done, and it's kind of obvious, you go, what am I missing that's behind the walls or that I can't see? Because if they're sloppy with the stuff that's front and center... I think all bets are off and how good that job's going to be. Let me tell you, everything that's important is behind the walls. And if you can see the crap, you're in trouble because it's going to leak. It's going to this and the that. And oh, my God, you're in trouble. And the stuff we find, oh, my God, when we do demos, it's comical, comical. And you can tell uh, looking at it that we're going to find a nightmare. So <laughs> it's yeah. yeah. I've been in several houses that have had walls torn out, not necessarily mine, but where you find uh, beer cans, garbage, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> McDonald's wrappers. It's unbelievable. And it's like, why would they do that? Why would somebody throw that in the walls of your house? Because they're lazy. Sometimes they might do it on purpose just for the heck of it, because the beer cans, whenever I do a remodel in a 1960s, 70s home, there's always one Coors can and the guy signed his name. So there still were carpenters and craftsmen back then, but they all started drinking at noon. So I don't know how they got anything done, but they all left the beer cans in the 70s. And then that stopped. But the other reason they, they do it is because they're complete laziness. Because we vacuum the walls and the floor joists and before we close the walls up. And if the client has a, is weird, I sage the house before I put drywall in. <laughs> you know, if we have a house that was coming from another person that might have been slightly toxic or some bad energy, we even sage it for them. But we're it's clean. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But yeah, we see that when we demo too. Yeah. Now I saw your video on waterproofing and, and I think people underrate just how important that is in, in so many different areas of a house, because once you have that water intrusion, it causes a whole bunch of other problems that people don't want. So how, how on top of it, I mean, obviously you thought enough that you made a video about it. Waterproofing is important. Water is not your friend and water is the worst thing that can happen to any home. And no matter how low end or high end water can really cost you a fortune and it's the simplest thing to protect from. But I see these big time builders that skip the metal. They skip the, the hot mop. They skip all that. And I'm like, what are you doing? Because that's all we got is our reputation. And we got to stand behind it for 10 years legally. So 
your waterproof is probably the most important thing. And we always use copper. None of that other crap because you live by the ocean too. Copper or stainless. Don't even think about galvanized. Don't even think about it. You know, so yeah, it's a it's huge because we do better work than anybody, but that work that's good is what the client never sees. They never see it. And 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 I never had a call back in 35 years. So there. That's awesome. What are what are key areas? I know flashing on the roof is important. Places where uh, vents go up through the roof. Um, yep. There's so many different little things where where water can get in. Well, that's your roof jacks on every single vent. It's the edge of the roof, and then you have all your window openings and your door pan openings, and then you have um, you know, and then caulking. I mean, because along with the the waterproofing and the black tar. Is caulking and sealing around all the openings as well. And then, of course, you want hot mop your shower pans because a lot of people don't bother with the waterproofing in there and they put their tile on party board and they don't even do the proper mud set and uh, waterproofing, the black tar and then the uh, the brown coat on top of that. And we, we, we float on brown coat on, uh, you know, proper. We don't do that hardy plank, hardy stuff and no hot mop. So, yeah, that the showers are huge and, and, um, and then all the openings, all the openings on the building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, here's another thing that drives me nuts. And tell me if you ever have challenges with this. Um, arches, things that are special features on a house. When I, I, I moved into this one house where every arch was lopsided or, or crooked. I mean, it, it's like the guy was drunk and every one of them was bad. And now when I walk around, I, I see good ones and I see a lot of bad ones. How tough is it just to make an arch that it's is symmetrical? Oh my God, it's so, um, it's easy if you have a template because all you have to use is a template and then you build the template out of plywood on the ground with a, with a, with a string. I mean, there's many ways and tools to make it, but that means they're either free forming it or no one's managing the cuts or they're not getting any guidance or they just hired hacks that don't know how to do carpentry. So most of it's they're hiring unskilled labor hacks, but geez, it's the easiest thing to do, but they have to have a plan and a guidance. Like today, I did a bunch of curved stuff and plywood for my new custom plaster hoods and plaster fireplace. And I had to go over it a couple of times, but well, then so they only cut it once, but you know, you got to lay it out for them because my stuff's actually custom. It's not just a circle. I have circle. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it just means they hired hacks. Yeah, I wanted to make a video about crooked arches and just walk around and but I didn't want to put all my neighbors houses on the video showing that because there's so many of them that are screwed up and it just drives me nuts. It's like if a counter is not squared or a shelf isn't level, oh my God. I mean, maybe I'm just exposing myself as being really quirky, but uh, no, those things not. drive me crazy. Drives me crazy too. I can't walk in. When I walk into a room, I go right to the problem or right to the flaw in the wall. It's like I always say I have eagle eye and I'm not technically OCD, but I am detail. And some people aren't detailed because they just don't know what to look for. But I see everything just even in my own house. Oh my God, everything has to be level and straight. But it, it's really a bonus when you're a contractor because we I catch everything. I mean, everything, I mean, even if a screw's the wrong color, I mean, I mean, there's things we do with finished carpentry. Um, yeah, everything. It's, I mean, I'm it, so bad. I went to a friend's party one time and they had these four pictures on the wall that were stacked at different angles. And I walked in and go, okay, I got to fix that. That's driving me nuts. And I straightened I, them and they got so mad because that was the art, the way they were all framed. Oh no, that's hilarious. I would have done the same thing because today I was in one of my client's garages and he has a couple of fancy cars and 
I was standing there because we were cutting some drywall above the McLaren and the Porsche and the Bentley was on the other side. So I just stood there because they're out of town and I just wanted to make sure they knew we weren't going to hurt them. But I organized all of his Milwaukee tools on the wall and they're all on these metal magnets. And I took the whole freaking wall it's five foot long and moved every little screw and put the Milwaukee sign forward. So when he comes home from Japan, <laughs> everything's perfect. <laughs> Well, as it long was, as you don't go in, inside and have all the soup labels pointing the no, same way. No, I didn't way. do that yet because I think she has her maid do it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once and once you see something like that, you can't unsee it. It's like back in the, in the dating days when if somebody would say, hey, that girl you're with had a really big nose and, and you didn't think so. That's all you see after that. Or oh, yeah, if somebody, like you know, it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, those kind of things drive me crazy. So and it could be the man with the big nose. I'm not, I don't want to appear sexist. Yeah, either that, way, but once they pointed out, yeah. Exactly. So tell me about the historical vintage video. I thought that was really cool. That was that right. house was awesome. That house has a wonderful story. And like a lot of my clients, there's a story that goes with it, which fascinates me because, God, I have so many stories. But this client's father built the house back in 1928. And he was a Japanese immigrant and he was a well-known landscape guy in Laguna Beach so his thing was landscape so the front yard has crystals in it and a true Japanese garden that he loved and blessed every single day so we are now keeping that and maintaining it and making sure it stays alive and happy and so that's been maintained all through the construction but the house was an original single story you know three-quarter inch wall and so we saved the all we did well we did a lot we saved the, the roof framing and the original dug fir floor and all the walls are new two by four with insulation. So it's a brand new house, but yet it's the same house. And we kept two cabinets in the in the kitchen and the living room that the father built and then built all new cabinets around that. So it's really the same house, but like a little Bentley inside because there's so much woodwork, new board and batten inside and outside. And it's just gorgeous. Yeah, no, I thought that was that was really fun to watch. And then the difference between houses you might be working on in California versus what we have to deal with in Florida versus what they deal with in in Texas or Alabama every place has its hazards or or things you have to worry about when you're doing those California houses do you have to worry about earthquakes and how structurally sound the oh, house yeah. is and if it's if it's up to code oh yeah i have a friend of mine on instagram she builds barns in Texas and she sent me her plans and i'm like you know, it's California. We have to structurally engineer these for earthquakes. This is not going to fly. So earthquakes since 2008 are so ridiculously beefed up for the footing size and the shear walls. So there's a ton. That little cottage has so much framing in it. It's like three times what it was. It's insane amount of weight that's added but uh, and lumber. But the earthquake's huge and then the ocean air. So between the two, the quality of the materials and the amount of reinforcement is insane yeah it's a lot now you do work in laguna beach and newport places like that we, we always see stories of mudslides and you know hills falling down um in the palisades where where i grew up uh, my dad was looking at a house that was over the bluffs and he I, I thought it was a great house i go why aren't you buying that he goes someday that's not going to be there it's coming over the side well we watched over the years everything come over the side they eventually had to move the house up towards the front of the lot how much of a consideration is that when you do projects about whether it's going to stay there? Well, the good thing about Long Beach has some different issues because the sediment is different and the, the regression of the um, land. But Laguna is seven feet above the bedrock. 
So we don't have that, but there were some places in the canyon that slide. But the funny part about Laguna is you're right on top of bedrock. So you get those caissons drilled in and you're golden. So it's not a worry. It's just a cost. I mean, to do a remodel and add on, it's, you know, 30 foot caissons are a thousand dollars a foot. So, and you need five of them. Okay. So that's your starting price to add on just a baby little room. So th there's another three letter word that I I've grown <laughs> to hate. Uh, um, it's called built to code. And <laughs> I I've interviewed some, some leading architects and people that are really on top of their game. And they say, they're always thinking of where code is going. They're thinking for the future and just saying my house, it's like that just okay. Rocket mortgage commercial. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, some architects and some engineers will over-engineer or over-build, but you just want it to be safe and to code because the code is already updated and looking to the future, but there's no reason to over-build technically, but you can over-embellish um, and use very expensive materials. That's a whole other subject of the type of woods you use and the type of, uh, you know, everything you've used to, to embellish it. But Overbuilding is not necessary and over-engineering, but you want it done right. And we don't cut corners, so you don't want to cut corners, and they won't let you at the city, but there is there is a bit of overbuilding could be done by some individuals, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I asked a builder in Oklahoma um, whose responsibility it was to point out certain things and build the safest house possible. Is it the builder or the buyer to ask for it? And he said it was the buyer because if the builder builds it, the buyer might not want it. So do buyers really need to educate themselves so they ask you folks for the right stuff? Or is no. it kind of a back and forth? No, it's a back and forth because, the, you know, the clients don't know anything. And, you know, the, the architect's supposed to build to code and design to code. The builder's supposed to build off the plans. A builder can't build anything without plans. So it really starts with the architect and the code and the structural engineers and the options because there's always options with the, with the structural engineer because, you know, architect's plans don't get built without structural engineers. So the options start with the structural on top of the architect and the client should not have to even ask. They should be told all their options. And that's where the, the money starts talking you start you start talking the money because gosh if you don't ask questions and your architect mm -hmm. doesn't do the due diligence of giving you options and talking to the engineer he might just design something that's a million dollars when you could have got it done for a quarter million you know what i mean so there's always options but yeah we were, we were talking about in in the terms of they were building houses safer for for tornadoes in more oklahoma and after they got wiped out by a bunch of them they changed the building code and the cost of building a safer house was equivalent to granite countertops in a house and that's oh. when he said people would probably choose the granite countertops over the safer features if they had a choice so they changed the code you know yeah, it's like if, if you were told you could cheaper yes yeah if you could save 10 grand by not having airbags in your car i bet some people would choose not to have them of course they would that's the problem with the, the kind of the american uh i was thinking about that as i was driving down the road freeway today i saw something and it's all about saving money, but it's really not because when you save money in the long run, it's penny pounds foolish, you know, pound foolish, penny wise. It doesn't work. So, but so many people are geared to that and we're not geared that way as designers and contractors. We're almost the opposite. So we don't cut corners. We're not looking to save money. We're looking to build it right the first time. So I don't like doing that, you know? Yeah. But now do you think all your, do you think all your experience in each facet of the building 
makes you have a different approach than somebody who might just be a builder or might just be a designer oh, yeah. because you now know the, how to do the whole process. Yes. Without, I don't know how people rely on their contractor for some of the advice because he, he is not the architect. He is not the designer. He doesn't look for the client's best interest in the overall design. He doesn't look sometimes for the best quality because if the client's bugging him about price, he's just going to cut corners and it's not going to be good. So he doesn't sometimes maybe look out for the client's best interest in the long run and they can't make certain decisions. So yes, my um, balance between the architecture and designer is supposed to kind of protect the client from the contractor by having knowledge on the plans and options and then bringing in the engineer. So yeah, it's a huge difference to be a designer um, and a contractor, a huge difference. Cause I can tell people how much it costs before we even start drawing the plans. So I save them. I save a lot of time and money by just saying that because I know how to build it. You know, when I walk in the house, I know what can be done and how to build it the first week. So, you know. now, how tough has it been being a woman in a field dominated by so many men? Well, with my personality, it's been easy. But <laughs> it's uh, the problem is uh, when you look like me, that's a problem because they were always looking at you. But the biggest problem is that men just like, who's she? Who's that chick? And then what they do is they grill you and test you and see if you know the answers because construction sites are like, um, I always call them prison yards because <laughs> they're like, yeah. it's a, it's a separate, uh, you, you got to know what you're doing and who you're talking to. And it's all about respect and knowledge. And you can't just show up and guess you, you have to, cause you're, you're doing something really important. So they always tested me on my knowledge early on, but in the beginning I was only drawing the plan. So they needed me cause they needed my information. But now when I first actually became a contractor, it was constant testing and just just testing and kind of they never laughed or made fun of me. But you could tell they were testing me <laughs> and yeah. uh, that I just I, I, I don't back down easy and nothing makes me uh, too nervous. So uh, it's funny. I'm like five, eight and 170 pounds, too. So I don't uh, you know, they don't bug me. I wouldn't mess with you. I, I, I'm intimidated over the over Zoom. So in, in person, it, it, it'd be pretty scary. Well, so, that's just, I give off a, a big aura. Trust me, I have a big steel box around me. <laughs> which you would have to have on some job sites. I mean, yes. there's a lot of uh, a lot that goes on there. Oh yeah, and a lot of energy, um, a lot of attitude. Men are tough because they're they. You got to. It's like a it's like a game in a way. You got to know what you're talking about or fuck or screw up. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's no screwing around. That's all I can right. tell you. I think using the word tough is being kind, probably. Um, <laughs> so one one last video and then, and, then, and then I'll let you go. The Tony Baxter house. That seemed to be uh, a big project that you were working on. Tell tell folks about that. I, I met Tony like six, seven years ago, and he's never letting us go because he didn't really believe I could bring in hand carvers from, from uh, Ireland and Europe and do all this gilding and faux finishing that he was doing through his Disney people. So once he realized I actually could make this house how we wanted and with the craftsmen that actually don't really exist anymore because i have some of the guys that go back in orange county 30 years and uh so he was like oh my god can i go yeah we do this we do old school custom we do this so it was such a pleasure working with someone that designed the paris disneyland i mean this guy is so talented and he's a visionary so he would do the drawings and then i would take his drawings and make them accurate because he would do the visual drawing and then he'd build these little 3D models overnight <laughs> and give them to us the next morning. And um, But I would make the drawings technically accurate and then tell the men how to actually build it. But 
it was such a pleasure working with him because he is such an um, artistic talent. I mean, he designed the Paris Disney. I mean, he lived in Paris for four years. So. Yeah, I would encourage people to check out your video just if they like little details and things because yeah. the stuff you were showing is so cool to have that in a house. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Okay, so we'll we'll wrap this up with uh, some solid advice. I'm thinking of building or remodeling a house or taking on a project. What's the number one thing that could get me going in the right direction? What should be my my first step? It all starts with a good plan. Get good plans drawn. You got to hire the right person that can put your dreams on paper and then you got to be able to see it on paper and pick all your materials and know what you're actually building and hopefully see 3D models or, or 3D color renderings and really know what you're building and understand it before you pull the trigger and build it. But get your contractor. In Second thing is get the contractor involved early so you know what it's going to cost before you blow your wad on a bunch of plans that don't work. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're doing somebody's dream house. This is probably for a lot of people their biggest investment. I mean, yes. maybe not some of the houses you've worked on in California, but for a lot of us, that's everything is in our house. We got to get it right. Mm -hmm. It has to be. It's supposed to be fit your lifestyle for you. It's not your designer's house. You're not your architect's house. It's your house. We're just there to guide you. You know, awesome. make it happen. Well, Julie, it's been a pleasure talking with you and 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 learning about what you do and. Uh, I look forward to continuing to follow you, but, but thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, George. It's a, such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on the Tell Us How to Make a Better podcast. All of my contact information and all of Julie's is in the show notes, as well as a link to my documentary film, The Last House Standing. If you have an interesting building or remodeling story, I would love to hear about it, and we can feature you on an upcoming episode. And if you enjoyed what you were listening to today, please become a subscriber, share the link with your friends, and even leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.